Well, it is so good, really, so good to see you all here on this uh, sunny July 2nd Sunday, and we're looking forward to continuing our series. This series we're calling Philippians, Living as Gospel Citizens, and today we are in week two, and I've titled my message, Advancing Through Adversity. Advancing Through Adversity, and today we're going to be in verses 12 through 26 in chapter 1. Before we open God's Word and start reading our passage, I'm going to have us view the introduction video that some of you saw last week if you were with us. If you weren't here, you'll see it for the first time. If you were here last week, we'll actually see a little bit more of the intro video that we saw last week. And so we wanted to show this video just one final time during our series to give you an overview of how Paul got to Philippi and all the events that took place after his departure. So let's take a look. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe, and that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there, Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed, that means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better 
for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. So this morning we're going to be in this second vignette, chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. You just heard that Paul, he arrived in Philippi, and then from there he was actually thrown in prison in Philippi. He was thrown in prison along with Silas. He faced resistance. He faced persecution. But, as we learned last week, because of Paul and Silas's actions in prison, their surprising actions, their unexpected actions, the Church of Philippi was born. After Paul and his team departed Philippi, the Philippian church sent Paul and his team a monetary gift to support him while he was in prison in a different city, which we'll look at today. And Paul, in return, sent a thank you letter. So whenever you open the book of Philippians, just keep this in mind. It is a thank you letter. In fact, every time you write a thank you letter to somebody else, think book of Philippians because this is Paul's thank you letter to the Philippian church for their monetary gift. And it also gave him the occasion to encourage them to live as gospel citizens. That's his exhortation, that they would live as gospel citizens. And that is God's call for us today in the 21st century. E-Free Church, we are called to live as gospel citizens. And so, with that in mind, I invite you to turn to chapter 1, and I'll read verse 12 to begin our time. Philippians 1, verse 12 says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. We'll stop right there. We can tell from this singular verse that something clearly didn't go according to plan. And the question is this, what was the initial plan? What was Paul's initial plan? Now, you might remember last week I said that the book of Acts often provides the context to the book of Philippians. And so here's what it says in Acts 19, verse 21. Acts 19, 21 says this. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So after all that Paul had experienced in Asia Minor, after all the miracles and all the healings that God performed through Paul, Paul said, I have to go to Rome. Now, even today, there are people around the world that say, I need to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I must visit Rome. And why not? It's one of the most iconic cities. It has such a rich history. A few weeks ago, I received an encouraging email from a recently married couple. And this email subject line read this way. Greetings from Rome. So this couple, they were vacationing in Rome, and God blessed them. God blessed them. In the middle of their vacation, 
they thought to encourage me by sending me an email. And they attached a couple pictures with this email. And one of the pictures was of them in front of an iconic landmark in Rome. The second picture that they sent was a picture of me <laughs> preaching on their iPad. And the iPad is sitting on a table, and right in front of the iPad is an Italian sandwich, of course. <laughs> and, and the email said that we can't be there, Diamond Bar, in person, Pastor Tim, but just want to let you know that we're tuning in and watching service from Rome. Boy, I tell you, that, that makes, me feel, you know, makes me feel so good to receive a, an email. I felt so encouraged that they would take the time out of their vacation time. You know, when I'm on vacation, I want to do nothing but just vacation. <laughs> but they, they were so encouraging that they sent me that picture. So, when in Rome, okay, when in Rome, just live stream our service. You know, people flock to Rome to this day. And for Paul, he knew that he had to go to Rome. And he knew he had to go to Rome because of the gospel. But here's the twist. Paul, though his plan was to go as a preacher, he did his best work as a prisoner in Rome. God used him to proclaim the gospel as a prisoner in Rome. So even though Paul's plans had changed. God had other plans. You know, Paul went there thinking, I'm going to preach the gospel. So when he was thrown into prison, do you know what Paul did? He pouted, he complained, and he threw a temper tantrum. No, of course not. Of course not. You see, one of the ways that you can tell a person's spiritual maturity or lack thereof, is by observing how that person responds when things don't go their way. I think that's a true sign of spiritual maturity. When you observe someone and see how that person reacts under adversity. And I believe that spiritual maturity is best determined by our response to difficult circumstances. Do you want to know how you can tell a person is spiritually mature? Just see and observe. How does that person respond to difficult situations? You know, seeing toddlers throw a temper tantrum on the floor, it's not fun for anybody. For the parents, it's not fun for the patrons who are observing this in a restaurant. Now, as adults, we might not fall to the ground and kick and scream, but we have our own ways to throw our tantrums. Maybe we complain. Maybe we are feeling sorry for ourselves. And that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. You know, to be like Christ is to have the mindset of Christ. And here's the most important part, when things don't go our way. That is spiritual maturity. When we respond with the mind of Christ, when things don't go our way, even before 
Paul became a prisoner in Rome. He faced some of the most difficult circumstances you and I could ever imagine. He was violently attacked. He faced death threat after death threat. He survived a shipwreck. He even survived a poisonous snake bite. And through it all, here's the one thing that Paul never did. He never felt sorry for himself. You know, as we mature in our relationship with Christ, here's what's going to happen. And it all comes down to this one singular thing. When we look at our circumstances, and as difficult and as painful as those circumstances may be, here's a sign of spiritual maturity. We become less me-centered and more Christ-centered. That is a sure sign of spiritual maturity. We become less me-centered and more Christ-centered. Everything in life can be determined by this one question. And here's the question that we ought to ask ourselves. Everything in life can be determined by this one question. Am I becoming more like Christ? That's the most important question we could ask ourselves. Am I becoming more like Christ? Everything else in life is measured against it. I guarantee it. You come up with any situation in life, you come and you ask me, or you tell me about a situation, and that question, am I becoming more like Christ? That will apply to every single circumstance that you could dream up. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have setbacks along the way. That doesn't mean that we don't have bad days. It doesn't mean that we're always going to respond with the right words. It doesn't mean that we're always going to react perfectly. But what it means is this. With each passing day, we become more and more like Christ. Our aim is to become less me-centered and more Christ-centered. Centered. You see, Paul, he didn't have time to feel sorry for himself because he had a message to proclaim. And so, as the saying goes, I think Paul, he made lemonade out of lemons. I think he was like the, the epitome of the best lemonade maker. He truly made the best and the most of his circumstances. You know, growing up, my favorite lemonade was from Hot Dog on a Stick. My absolute favorite lemonade, okay? And plus it had some cool-looking uniforms. And, and my favorite of all the lemonades was the green one, the, the lime, the green-colored lemonade, probably because it had a lot of sugar in it. And so think about it. Paul made lemonade out of what would otherwise be sour fruit. He was the ultimate lemonade maker. And to give us an example, look at verses 13 and 14. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When the authorities placed Paul under house arrest, guess what? They had no idea that God was going to use even their actions of throwing Paul in prison for his glory. 
They had no idea. But God even used their actions for his glory. You know, these palace guards, they were chained to Paul 24-7. Did you catch that? They were chained to Paul. Paul had a captive audience. They heard him when he spoke. They heard him when he prayed. They saw him write when he wrote his letters. They, they were chained to Paul. And guess what? They got to witness. They got to witness how consistent Paul's actions were with his words. Last week, we said that those in our lives who don't know Jesus, those in our workplaces, in our schools, neighborhoods, perhaps even in our families, they're watching us. Those who don't know Jesus, they, they watch us. They watch what we say. They watch what we write. They're watching how we react to life's circumstances. Are we complaining? Are we pushing back? Are we demanding? Or are we responding with grace? And yes, there will be times where we need to voice our concerns and speak. But even then, it's to be done with a Christ-like attitude. And we learned last week that the actions of Paul and Silas in the Philippian prison were completely foreign to the other prisoners. The other prisoners were shocked that Paul and Silas would react the way they did, with grace and joy. And because of that, the church of Philippi was born. And now, because of Paul's unexpected actions under house arrest in Rome, something else remarkable happened. I'm going to jump ahead to the final passage, final chapter in chapter 4. So go to chapter 4, verses 21 to 22. We'll cover this later on in our series, but I want to jump ahead for just a minute and give us a preview. And we're going to see an, a, a remarkable thing that happens at the end of this letter. In chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says this, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I want you to focus in on that term, Caesar's household. What Paul is referring to when he says, everyone here, they send their greetings. He's talking about the palace guards who came to faith because they were chained to Paul. Because they heard Paul preach the gospel, they saw him write what he wrote, these guards came to faith. And they were now part of the family of God. And they, oh, they send their greetings to the church at Philippi. It's a remarkable thing that happens. So what happened to Paul actually served to advance the gospel. As followers of Jesus, you and I know this. There are no accidents, right? There are no coincidences. Nothing happens just by chance. We know that God is in complete control of our entire lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we always know how God is working. We don't always know all the fine little details, but 
We do know that he is working, and that's why it's better to trust in God and in his sovereignty than trying to figure out every little detail. We know that God is working. One author shares this story. It's a humorous story of a shipwreck survivor. So the sole survivor reaches a small, uninhabited island. So when the survivor reaches the island, he prays to God and asks God to rescue him. But help doesn't come. So after several days, this survivor, he builds himself a hut with uh, driftwood for protection from all the elements. So day after day, he's in this hut. One day, he comes back from scavenging and just searching the island for food. And he comes back only to discover his hut is up in flames. And angrily, he cries out to God, God, how could you do this to me? Well, the next morning, the survivor was awakened by rescuers. How did you know I was here? Well, we saw your smoke signal. You know, God is working in our lives even when it doesn't seem like he is. I hope you know that. Even when it seems like he's not, he's working. And he's working all things for good. This is what Paul writes in Romans. Can I read Romans 8, 28? This is what he writes in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. Now, I want you to follow along here. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church when he was under house arrest in Rome. Okay, you got that? All right. So that's what we're reading. We're reading Paul's letter to the Philippian church while he's in prison in Rome. What we just read in Romans 8:28 he didn't write while he was in Rome. He wrote to the Roman Christians while he was in another city called Corinth. Are you following? So Paul wrote to the Philippian church while he was under arrest in what city? Rome. He wrote Romans to the Roman Christians, get this, even before he got to Rome. He was in Corinth, and he wrote this passage to the Roman Christians even before he got there. And sure enough, when he got to Rome, he was arrested. You know what that tells me about Paul? It tells me that he had spiritual insight and that he was ready for what would await him in Rome. You know, it's one thing in our lives to look back on the events of our lives and say, oh yeah, I could see that God was working. I didn't know it back then, but now I see how he was working. That's, that's great. It's one thing to look back, but here's what spiritual maturity does. Spiritual maturity allows us to look ahead to events that we don't even know, that we can't even understand yet. But spiritual maturity allows us to look ahead and be prepared to respond in a Christ-like manner when that adversity comes. That's what spiritual maturity 
does. And here's another thing. I don't want you to think for a moment that Paul liked being under arrest. Please don't think, okay, this is my plan all along. I'm going to go to Rome, and I'm going to get arrested, and I'm going to like it. Please don't think that. It was miserable, physically speaking, emotionally speaking. I imagine he shed many tears being under house arrest. And that's why throughout the book of Philippians, Paul talks about not happiness. He talks about joy. And there's a distinction. And you may know the distinction, right? Happiness is contentment because of circumstances. I got into the college of my choice. I'm so happy. I'm enjoying this meal. I'm so happy. I'm having the greatest time at this amusement park. It must be the happiest place on earth. Happiness is determined by our circumstances and how much fun we're having. Joy is contentment regardless of circumstances. And that is why spiritual maturity is not measured by how happy we are in life. I've said this before. Happiness is not the goal of the follower of Jesus Christ. Joy is. Joy even in the midst of adversity. Paul found joy in spite of the hardships. And did you know that part of the hardships came from other people? Let's continue on. Verse 15 talks about the ulterior motives of others. He says in verse 15, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Did you know that rivalry and envy and jealousy, they are not unique to the 21st century church? Paul experienced that in the first century. Not everybody liked Paul. Paul had his critics, and Paul had his enemies. Paul did not like the fact that his critics were tearing him down. It was painful for Paul. In fact, it caused him an immense amount of heartache. But you see, what mattered to Paul most was the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about spiritual maturity a lot this morning. And I, I thought much about this concept of spiritual maturity over the last week. As we mature in our walk with God, here's what happens. We don't sweat the little things as much. And also, I've discovered this. The more we mature in our walk with God, we don't sweat even the big things as much. Have you discovered this? No matter how hard 
you try to change those around you, you cannot. No matter how hard you try to change someone in your life, it cannot and it will not happen. Because you know why? It is not our job to change someone else. It is not. It is God's responsibility. And he does the changing. And sometimes here's what happens as we pray, God, would you change that person? That person needs to be changed. Would you change that person? God, just change that person. Along the way, God says, well, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to just start changing you. I'm going to give you more patience. I'm going to give you more grace because that's going to be easier than changing that other person. I think we've all discovered that in our lives. I think a, a mark of spiritual maturity is when we stop trying to change someone else in our lives and we begin to see the change in our own lives. How we respond in the midst of conflict is a reflection of our spiritual maturity and our commitment to the gospel. Paul looked beyond the pride and the jealousy and the envy of others. He was completely secure in his walk with Jesus. He didn't sweat even the major things. Let's see what he says in the final section, starting in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. No matter what would happen to Paul, Christ was going to be exalted through him. You know, later on, Paul would actually be put to death during his second imprisonment in Rome. So he would die. But for that season, while he was imprisoned in that first imprisonment, for that season, God kept him alive to encourage the Philippian believers. You see, Paul was always looking out for his best interest. Again, spiritual maturity it happens when we look out for the interest of others. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, especially in chapter 2. You know, I imagine the one thing that Paul never said to himself when he looked in the mirror was this. Paul, you got to do what's best for you. He never said that. Now, I understand it's important to be healthy emotionally, mentally, physically, and as well-intentioned as that phrase is. For the follower of Jesus Christ, 
The more that we mature in our faith, our perspective begins to change so that when we look in the mirror, here's what we say. Tim, you've got to do what's best for the kingdom of God. That's a sign of maturity. And when we approach life with this attitude, here's what happens. Everything we do, work, rest, leisure, and much, much more, they all serve that purpose. So yes, we need our rest so we can be energized. We need health and nutrition. We need to minister and reach out. Because when we look in the mirror, the question we ought to ask is, Am I doing this for the kingdom of God? Everything we do. In a moment, we're going to share in communion. Last week, if you were with us, I asked you if you would be willing to maybe say a prayer for someone here at church. Remember that? I said, this week, take Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, and just insert someone's name from church into that prayer and pray that prayer. I shared that with you last Sunday. I gave you that assignment. The next day, that next Monday, one of our church members texted me, Pastor Tim. And then he just continued on and quoted that passage. And I was just so touched and encouraged by that prayer. Someone else this morning prayed that prayer right as we look at each other. This week, I have another assignment if you're up for the challenge, and that's this. When you wake up in the morning and you spend time with God, maybe the first thing you can say when you roll out of bed tomorrow morning is this. God, no matter what happens to me today, Christ will be exalted. Would you do that? Maybe just roll out of bed. As you're rolling out of bed or as you're pressing the snooze button, <laughs> say, God, no matter what happens to me today, Christ will be exalted.